Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. A prayer type, prayer and worship night, and what a great thing that is. I don't know how many of you come to that, but whoever's here tonight for the first time, or maybe you're been, uh, this is new to you, welcome to the Sunday night, and uh, already Kevin <coughs> and Cheryl, we are we are planning to get back, you know that, every time we do, I leave, I ask you, can I come back? Anyway, what I'm thinking is, and I'm proclaiming, this is a proclamation, actually, the proclamation goes like this, this time, next time, this time next year, I would like to have my wife with me to prove I've got one. Well, these two know my wife, but she's busy running the church. <laughs> it's wonderful. And I just do nothing. I just float around like this. But um, it would be so cool. I think we talked about it, me and you. And, um, and Sam and Peter here, they said they'd love to, to have that happen. So we're, we're, we're planning. I've talked to her about it, and it's just getting the dates. It's your typical pastor, you know. You pastors there, typical, oh, I've got to be in church. I've got to do this. got to be there. I don't think I can make the time. And, and I'm like a pastor's wife saying, I don't really care much. Let's just go away for a holiday or something. <laughs> so getting her to break free from this stuff will be good. But if you ever see her or talk to her, which you probably won't, but you can Instagram, go follow on my Instagram and hashtag her and say, come to, where are we, Aberdeen? Come to Aberdeen. <laughs> and uh, it would be so cool. So that would be good because I've been saying it for years, you know. Right? We've never done it. We've actually never done it. Dave and Jenny come up and stay with you. And they come back. They're like bent coins coming back all the time, aren't they? So there must be something going on. It must be the booze you offer. I don't know. But um, they're coming back and never asked. Never asked us. But anyway. Nice to be here. And, and Kevin's right. These two are really good friends. I'm the sort of person that's more interested in building long-term personal relationships than finding the next opportunity if that be the case and uh, there's so much of that but but the thing is you know in the next 10 years we've still got this history together and um, we can talk to that your grandchildren will be 10 and and ours will be 15 it'll be funny hey and um, and it'll just be that's what life is about it's about who you connect to a lot of it's about who you connect to so for me and Linda it's about that very very much so uh, and of course Getting to know you guys in the church, it makes it so much easier when you are here to just to be able to uh, speak about things in the church and not play catch-up because you know what's going on. So thank you for the invitation. Thank you for making this work. I'm going to get preaching now. Is that okay? Because that's what we're here for. I've got to be careful I don't wander off the track. As you know, sometimes I have a tendency to wander off the track. It's It's like rabbit warrens. I go down these rabbit warrens and anything could emerge. So I'm going to try and behave myself. Um, so here we go. I'm going to read out four verses, all right? <clears throat> when I've done that, we're going, to, we're going to explain those four verses, and then we're going to start the journey of what I want to do. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first verse found in the book of John. Might be up there. Not sure. There it is. John 25 says... There it is. It's up there now. John 25 says, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. The next one is Luke 10, 31, 32. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw the man, he passed by. So too a Levite passed by. 
John 13, 8 says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, what does all that mean? Well, let's get on the journey on a Sunday night. You know when you read the Bible, as you know, there's always a context, a backstory to what's going on in the verses that are being read. You, you know this. This is typical good interpretation of the Bible. So if you look at the writings of Paul, for example, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, uh, some of these books, really you have to have a bit of an understanding of what called Gnosticism or the Gnostics because he was speaking to this group of church in the church called the Gnostics who'd snuck in and they were the two know people, we know stuff and they were infiltrating the, the, the basics of the church about the, the, the divinity of Jesus and the Trinity so G- Paul spent a lot of time talking about that Paul travelled the globe as it was then Paul's missionary journeys went everywhere it's become the DNA of our churches now if you see your pastors away traveling the globe that's because paul started that off not jesus jesus was in a hundred kilometer radius and never went out of it never went out of it he he was in in the nation of israel unless you read some books that say he went to india and sometimes the uk but that's another that's another storybook so and it literally is a storybook so he's very limited um paul talked about how to run a church if you want to know how to run a church or look at a church or see a church, you've got to read Paul. You can't read Jesus. You can't say, I follow Jesus' pattern of church. Because all Jesus did with the church was create it. Because he threw the word out, I will build my church. Paul said, great word, this is how you do it. You do this, you do that, you do the other thing. So the context for Jesus was Jewish. The context for Paul was Gentile. Mixing Gentile and Jew. But Jesus was purely dealing with Jews. In fact, So much so that he was, to some degree, practicing the Jewish mindset with the Gentile, that's us, quite deliberately. He said to one person, what have I got to do with you, you Gentile dog? Now, Paul wouldn't have said that. He would have tried to embrace the Gentiles. Jesus sort of almost made it hard for the Gentiles, if you like. So the context that Jesus is working in is plain Jewish and Jewish only. Okay, so whenever you read him, You've got to understand that context. Now, here's the context of the Jew. For them to be right with God, it involved what was called ritual cleansing or lots of washing by water. Our word baptism and the idea of baptism comes from the Jewish mindset of cleansing things by water. They had baptism of hands, baptism of feet, baptism of this, baptism of the other thing. They had baptism full immersion. They had cleansing going on all the time. And the cleansing process was massive. Once you were cleansed, You couldn't get, if you messed up, you'd have to go back and start all over. Now, these cleansing pools they had were huge. They were called mitfas, mitkas, and they had them in the house, and they were dug out of the rock, and some of them were as big as a swimming pool. Some houses would have four of these in the house for for the servants and some for this and that and the other thing. And the Jewish people would um, go into these bathing pools, which, by the way, were dirty, filthy things. Tepid water, dirty water, stinky water. Um, it wasn't The water wasn't cleansing them. It was active going in the water that cleansed them. Now, each one, each pool, had a set of steps going down and a set of steps coming up. 
Because when you went in the pool and washed, you weren't allowed to go out the way you came in. So you weren't allowed to go, yeah, if you came down a set of steps, don't go back that way. You'll now have to repeat the whole thing over again. So it was religious. It was time-consuming. It was all about getting right with God. Now, that's what Jesus talked about. That's what he was in. That's why he talked about water all the time. That's why he was always around water. That's why he said, with all of that said, imagine when he said this to Jewish people, you shall experience rivers of living water coming out of you. Now, they were used to dead ponds of tepid, dirty water, and he said, I will give you rivers of living water. What a challenge. We read it as being a good thought. They would have gone, what? In us instead of out of us? Flowing rivers, not a tepid pool? Doesn't make sense. You can imagine the little brain squeeze that went on right there. So now let me explain, with you understanding that, the four verses I read. The first one relates to the disciples who had heard that Jesus had left the tomb. And they were running to the tomb in John 20. There. So they're running to the tomb. And they're Jews, so they're going to see what's happened to Jesus. So they run down there, and it says, but they did not go in. Eventually they did. Now, why, why would you, in the midst of the greatest moment of everything that you had worked for, where Jesus has risen again, you'd heard about this, and he talked about this, when it happens, you don't go in to examine what's going on. It's because your religious cleansing background inhibited you from going in because you became unclean, and you would now, after that, go and have to wash, and it would be a day's effort before you were clean again. So they, here's the amazing thing for us Christians. Sometimes religious stuff gets in the way of experiencing the best of God. Our mindsets get in the way of going right into the thing because, well, I'm not sure it means this. And religion or the practice of cleansing and being a traditional Christian gets in the way of everything God wants to do. And that's what happened to them right there. The second story, as you know, is called parable of the or the good samaritan well this is a story where a guy is lying on the road being beaten up and all the rest of it and a levite and a priest come down now these were high officials they knew everything they they were the guys who practiced ritual cleansing at the top level so they're walking down the road they see this man lying there and he's been beaten up they cross the other side and walk continue on their journey now for me i had heard people say see the story of the good samaritan is a story about religious leaders who don't care about hurting people. But that's not the story at all. The story is they had been ritually cleansed on their way to perform some sort of thing in their culture, and if they touched that man, they would have to go back and do it all over again and miss what they were being engaged in. But their heart could have been screaming out for the need of that man. See, sometimes our heart is wanting to reach out in desperate situations, but our religion gets in the way of reaching out. So we have a heart for the lost. We have a heart for the hurting. We have a heart for the needy, but, oh, I've got to practice this thing, or if I did that, it means this. How many people have lost opportunity to spread the message of Jesus because their religion got in the way, yet they have a heart? See, it's not saying religious leaders didn't have a heart. They could have been burning for that man. But religion kept them away because they had something else more important. Now, the Samaritan, who wasn't Jewish, of 
course. He gets down, fixes the guy up, gives him a hotel. And then at the end of the story, Jesus said this, go and do the same. Meaning break out of your pattern and get down and help. Because you want to, but you're just letting religion get in the way. Third story often misrepresented is when Jesus and the disciples had been out doing some business. They came to a house and their feet, that what they did in those days would ritually cleanse their feet when they came into the house. You know, take the sandals off and somebody would clean the feet. That was part of cleansing. Um, today, the exact same thing with that is if I drove three, three hours somewhere, I'd arrive in my car and we're practicing the same thing. Somebody would go and wash my car. It's exactly the same as that. Here's what Peter, Peter, bipolar Peter, he's, a, he's the up and down disciple, isn't he? He's, I call him the bipolar ministry Peter. Ah, no, And he's up and down all over. So he's sitting there. Jesus wants to wash his feet. And he says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, I can cleanse none of you. Peter goes, cleanse all of me. Why? He's Jewish. He understands what he's saying now. This is talking about something greater than the symbol of washing feet. This is talking about an action of God through Jesus that needs to be. We've used it for servant leadership. It's not a servant leadership text. We've, we've made a whole doctrine of leaders washing feet around that. And the, and the thing that comes out of that is actual ritual cleansing, not a doctrine of leadership. That thing was invented by a Quaker in the 1960s, never was part of our text. But we've made it this thing now that leaders have to get down and get dirty with everyone. But that's not what it said. It says that the religion of the day gets in the way of your thoughts. And, and he was talking about the future with Peter, but Peter being Jewish clicked in and got it. Are you keeping up? Now let's read then, with all of that in mind, again, the Hebrews passage. And it says this, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with sincere heart and with full assurance faith brings. Hebrews, Jews, this is not a brand of coffee, Hebrews. This is talking to the nation of Israel. Let us draw near that with a full assurance that faith brings. Now he flips into the Hebrew context, having our hearts sprinkled to clean us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So he's saying the symbols of cleansing are now found in faith, not the symbol. Through faith, you can experience cleansing. Now, isn't that true of what, how it works for you and I? Actually, we don't go through any symbols or religious exercise for cleansing. It's by faith. And suddenly everything changes from religious exercise to faith. That's how we become Christians. It's by faith. The gospel is pure and simple and clean. We've messed it up because we've said, or religion has said to some degree, you need to be right before God before God accepts you. So you need to practice. That's what they were doing. Practicing all the things to be right before God. But actually, here's how it works, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus doesn't receive us. Sorry, you've never been received by God. We receive him. And we receive him through faith. But he doesn't receive us. That's why people say, I'll never be good enough for God. That's why people say, I wouldn't come to church. The roof will fall in. That's why people say, I need to work on it for a while. I'll, I'll try and sort myself out and then see. That's why people say, I can't be like the rest of you. Guess what? Here's the gospel. You don't have to be. You just have to, by faith, receive what Jesus did into your life. 
nothing more, nothing less. You can be the worst person in the world. But grace says it's what he did, not what I did. While you're struggling with your religion, he's already done it. While you're talking about why I can't, he already has. That's the nature of Christ, and that's the gospel. It's, it's an f- amazing thing. How many people out there tonight in Aberdeen, we don't know who the Spirit is working on, but they are missing their opportunity because they are questioning how good they are and why God won't accept them, almost listing the sin, when actually it's by faith. Now, by faith is interesting because you don't need to know much to by faith things. You only need to know. But you don't need to know much. See, some people would say, if we explain it to me, maybe I'd have a bit of faith in it. Well, actually, you don't need to know to have faith. Most of us here tonight didn't know much about Jesus, but we accepted him by faith. And that was my story. I became a Christian when I was 17, 30, 35 years ago. And, um, oh, great. Nobody even added the numbers up. That was, that was awesome. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Must be the lights. Um, I was 17. And honestly, up to that age, I would say I'd done everything anybody could ever do in life up to 17, but in a context of about 50 years ago or whatever it was, 45 years ago, because it's different now to what they did. But you name it. I, I used to steal cars just for fun all the time. But I was smart. I've always been quite smart. I know you don't know that, but I've been smart. So my mates and I, we'd steal a car, go driving off it, and I'd park it somewhere else. My mate got jailed for three years for that. And I, I thought, this is a stupid way to steal cars. Let's steal a car over the weekend, and then pa- I'll park it back where I got it from. So I used to park the car back where I got it from. Had an empty tank of petrol, but I just put it where I got it. Never got caught. Used to, I was a terrible alcoholic in those days, drinking a a bottle of vodka, neat, most nights, you know, blacking out all the time, many nights, blacking out, horrible, horrible thing to black out, I remember, I still fixed in my mind, one time, you black out from one moment, and there's six hours later, you're somewhere else, I would be in Auckland, where where I lived, and then six hours later, I'd be in the top of the North Island, I don't know how I got there, anyway, I was, I remember blacking, open, coming out of a blackout, and I, the car was going along at about 100 mile an hour, and I was holding on to the door handle this far off the road, watching the wheel go round, and I woke up. And I all came out of the blackout, and I, what am I, and I pulled myself, and I said, what happened? And they said, oh, that's nothing compared to what you just did down there. I said, what did I do down there? You took on a Maori, Hell's Angel, and you started abusing him. And we had to get him, that's why we're going so fast. And I'm like, heck, really? And that's what blackouts, you just don't, you don't remember things. This happened all the time. And so you find yourself waking up on the road. People used to say to them, why do you sleep on the asphalt? We used to sleep on the asphalt, uh, on the roads, you know, on the, in the gutter. I tell you what, concrete's cold, but asphalt's are warm. So you found a warm place to sleep. And when I became a Christian, my mates, um, nice guys they are, they hijacked me in a van. They kidnapped me in a van. I was walking down the road one day about a month after I was a Christian, took me to a home, tied me to a chair, and then put a funnel down my throat and force-fed me whiskey and, you know, vodka and all of this because they thought there's something wrong with me. And uh, great, mate. And uh, I have to say, though, after I became a Christian, most of them slowly died off through drug abuse or, uh, you know, doing stupid things. And, and so how did, I, how, did that, how did I become... Did somebody sit down and explain Christianity to me? You know, this is the five points you need to know or the things you need to do. And if you know those, then you... Or did I come to God and say, here I am, 
you know, uh, I've, I've been working hard on myself for two weeks. I'm a lot better today than I was two weeks ago. I was not drinking as much. Is that cool? No. What happened was my mum managed to get me to church one night. That's right. It was like that. And my mum managed to get me, and she, because I was a musician at that time, and I was actually, believe it or not, a good one. I was a professional musician playing for money. I was a musician. I call myself a musician because I read music. A drummer, I was a drummer. So a drummer who plays the drums but can't read music is a basher. But a, a drummer who reads music is a, is a musician, actually. That's my thing. And um, so I used to teach the drums. I did uh, a lot of uh, uh, work in studios and things like this. And uh, I had gigs on every night and, and had a job as well. And But always in the middle of it, finding myself somewhere up the country. And so I... Um, I said to mum, I can't come on a Sunday. You know this, I've got gigs. She said, I'm praying to God that those gigs will be cancelled and you'll be able to come. I said, pray all you like. Never going to happen. Two o'clock on the Sunday, I get a phone call on the landline because there was no mobile. And the guy says, your gig's off tonight. You got it free. And she heard it. So she said, you, and you know, pull me, to, pull me by the ear to church. I get there and it was a good church. It was in, um, in Auckland, New Zealand. And it's the same church Bobby Houston had just got saved and we were in the same youth group and Brian had been a part of that church too and it was quite a large church, very modern church, nothing wrong with church it was like you bringing somebody to this church that go, that was good, that was a good church enjoyed that, um, nothing wrong with that at all, I didn't, the church was great but when I got home, I was sitting on the kitchen bench and, and I sat there in all that stuff that I'm in and I just said at 17 I said God, I, I didn't even say that, I said you up there I don't know who you are is it Jesus or somebody? I'll tell you what. If you come into my life and change me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. How does that sound? And it was like a lightning bolt from heaven. Bang! Through the top of my head. And a straight came off. And I was saved. And I've served him ever since. And I remember that every day. Never, never wake up without thinking of my salvation moment. Now, what happened there? Well, I knew nothing of the details. All I knew is I needed to bring something in. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I hoped in that moment that Jesus would do something and is the evidence of things not seen. And as I live in faith, the evidence becomes clearer, but it's by faith. I never was good enough. You were never good enough. Some of you here today were probably worse than I ever was in your life. And it's not about how bad you are. It's about how good he's been. And it's not about the things you've done. It's about the thing he did. And it's not about how I can get myself right. It's about how he did it all right. That's the difference. And that's salvation faith. That's what changes everything. Not ritual. Not religion. Not cleansing. Faith. You don't need to know much. You just need to say, I need it. And then you can unpack what it all means. Well, that was my introduction. Now I'm going to do the proper sermon bit. Tonight I'm going to talk to you about faith. You should be excited about that. Faith is a good thing. I'm going to explain faith. I'm going to talk to you tonight about what I bet I reckon the best faith, the greatest faith of all is to have. The faith that changes everything. The faith that makes a difference. The faith that you're here for tonight. I want to talk about that. But I've got to talk to you about the other faiths that word, the word speaks of before we get to that one. So here we go. Here's the first one. We'll talk about very quickly. It's found in uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. And it says this, I had to write to you 
and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and all entrusted in the saints. Now, I call that the doctrine of faith. You would call it in a statement of faith. The church has a statement of faith on your webpage, I'm sure. You can go in and see the INC statement of faith. And it's listing things like the Trinity, doctrine of salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit, what we believe about Scripture. That's what he's saying you need to contend for. That, that you know, I mean, today, you know, the Trinity's being slapped around. The, the, the salvation through Christ alone has been... These are the things we need to contend for. Not the faith I have, but the faith that we all believe in together. And by the way, the statement of faith you have is no different to a Lutheran church, a Baptist church, any other church. Actually, it's very little It's very little difference in churches. The way we practice it is different, though. If a person came into this church, they would say, oh, there's something strange with what you believe here. Well, take our statement of faith and compare it to a Lutheran or an Anglican. It's not different. What's different is how we practice what we believe. And that's where they get caught. Because they say, oh, these sort of churches are pretty weird. They're not... They're sectarian. They're not, we're as mainline as any Lutheran, Presbyterian church. Seriously. But we just are happy clappies. That's all. Because as you know, the opposite of happy clappy is miserable and sad. So I'd rather be a happy clappy than a miserable. And you know that you've seen religion that's miserable and sad. But it's not their statement of faith that makes them like that. It's their practice of faith. Does that make sense? All right, here's the second one, quickly. I, this is believing faith. Matthew chapter 9, 29 says there, then he touched them in their eyes, uh, their eyes, he said, he, then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. This is called, yeah, good amen up there. Somebody up there has got this, you know, I'm telling you. Um, and uh, is that your, yeah, is that, is that your grandchild? Is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> she, I'm interpreting I'm interpreting that as preach it brother <laughs> believing faith believing faith this is post salvation faith where we can believe for things bigger than us you know and I, I love the fact that we have opportunity in the church to believe for things bigger than us prayer requests you have prayer meetings we have you have coming up shortly your uh, your main collection, what's it called? First Fruits Offering. I love First Fruits Offering. We call them half the house and other things, but I love them because that's where I sacrifice and believe God to do more than the system allows. See, the system allow, limits you. The system says, I've got this much in the bank, that's all I can do, but believing faith says I can do better than that. Um, the system says, this is the lines you follow, but actually faith says, there aren't no, any lines, you just go out and take hold of God. So, you know, somebody said to me, Scandinavian said to me, well, we just don't have, we don't see miracles like Africa and Indian places. Like, we just don't see those miracles. We must have no faith. And I said, yeah, yeah, we've got plenty of faith here. It's just faith in the system. What do you mean the system? I said, well, we have faith that when we dial the, the hospital, an ambulance will come and get us. We have faith that when we get there, a good doctor will look after us, trained. We have faith in the drugs they'll give us. We have faith in the backup system. If you live in a country that doesn't have that, you fall on the ground, you're going to die, and nobody's coming to get you, so you have faith in God, and that's why there's healings. It's not lack of faith. It's what you have it in. See, when it comes to first fruits, what you have your faith in is what causes you to not do what God wants you to do, not the fact that you haven't got faith. But if you have faith in your bank account, then it's limiting what your faith can do. 
But if you have faith in God, you can do bigger and better things. So, you know, when I, Linda and I planted a couple of churches in a country part of uh, Australia, in our low, early 20s, and um, we had two of them going. And then we moved to Melbourne to start up a Bible school. It's about 27. And I'd never been to Bible school. I didn't know anything about Bible school. And I asked the chairman of the board, why would you pick me to be the leader of the Bible school? And he said, because you know nothing. And I said, that, I know, but why, why am I here? And he said, well, now you won't repeat the stupidity of the one you went to. You'll just do what is proper for you to do here. And I thought, that's really smart, actually. You've, you've gone to one for three years, and all you're going to do is repeat that one, aren't you? He didn't want to do that. We ended up becoming the largest school in Australia within nine years. It was amazing, because I didn't know what I was doing. It's amazing when you don't know what you're doing, what you can get done. And this man, he's about five years older than me, and he's really well-known in the, in the Assemblies of God in Australia. And um, he had just taken on a church that was a crowd, and he made it into church, so he built a building, seats about 1,100 people at that stage. I'm preaching there again in April soon. The new pastor's there, and I'm looking forward to it because I've gutted the whole building when I remember it. I was there 10 years, so, so to go, go back and see what they've done now would be really interesting. And they're a really growing church. Um, and he built this church, but he had no money left. He ran out of money. And he couldn't do paving, he couldn't do car parks, he couldn't do anything. Couldn't even do light, light, you know, hanging lights in the offices. And he called me up to his room. He used to call me Wilson all the time. I felt like, you know, that basketball and the castaway show from, with Tom Hanks in it. Wilson! Uh, yes? Well, I'm believing God to give us paths all the way around the building. I'm, I'm just going to believe God for this. And, uh, and I said, well, how are you going to raise the money for that? I said, didn't you hear me? I'm going to believe God. I said, yeah, but what, are you going to get a loan? He said, I haven't got any more. I'm going to have to believe God. And I said, okay, well, all right. And he said, would you pray with me? And I said, yeah, sort of. And I sort of was looking out the window thinking, how do you pray about concrete parts? That God will give you concrete parts. What do they fall out of the sky one night? And there's a concrete... I didn't know what he was talking about, really. I mean, I got it, but it's a weird thing to believe that you would believe God would give you concrete parts. So about three months later, I come into the office, and I'm spinning a lot, eh? You can see it in the lights. But it is anointed spit. Did you get some? Sorry. And, uh, and uh, I get in these concrete trucks everywhere. I run up to his office. What's going on? He said, I told you I believe God. For... Did you get some money from somebody? I told you I'm believing God. Well, how did you get it? He said, well, a month after we prayed, a young man came to the church and he became radically saved, changed. And he came to me and he said, Pastor, I have nothing to give you. I don't know what I'd, but I'd like to help the church. And the pastor said, what do you do for a job? He said, I lay concrete paths. And the pastor said, well, I want concrete paths all the way around this building, but I can't pay for them. And the guy said, don't you worry about that. I'll have it all sorted. And this guy came and laid all the concrete paths. And we're talking a big church. We're not talking a little one-foot path. We're talking three-meter paths this deep all the way around the church. He did that for nothing. So about a month later, he yells out to me, Wilson, get up. He had a little intercom button. And I'd come running up. And over the car park, we had limited car park space, but the church was growing, was a block of land, which was ours, but there was like a crater hole in the middle of it. And it had to be filled up with earth to be used. And he said, I'm believing God to fill that hole. And I'm not stupid now. I've got it sorted. Yeah, me too. Let's pray. All right. So we, we did, and then about a month later again, I go in. Now, we're talking, a, this is a massive hole. You need a hill to go in there. Trucks coming in and out. 
Now I go up to his office. I said, what's going on? And he said, well, you won't believe this. And I thought, yeah, I probably won't. But the, co- the borough council has putting a road through over there. And they came to me and said, we've got to move a very large hill. And we wondered if we could put that hill in that hole. And if you let us do that, we will tar seal it so the cars can park on no charge. And he said, oh, I don't know. (laughs) And so the hole got filled up. I love that sort of faith. I don't know about you, but what do you, we see, honestly, guys, you can get so entrapped in the system, good salary, good bank account, that you forget, and I'm talking finances, but I mean that in all things. You can get so trapped in the system, you forget the power of faith. I forget the power of faith. Let's make sure we're always exposed or give ourselves the opportunity to be exposed to the power of faith. Next one is 1 Corinthians 12.9, and it says this, to another he gives the gift of faith. 21 gifts in the Bible, faith is one of them. Well, that's pretty... Because that gift set comes under things like uh, miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation, prophecy. comes under that set. So it's not the gift of faith for salvation. It's post-salvation. It's a gift you receive as a Christian. And... It's given to, all in this room is gifts that are given by God. There's 21, Romans 12 mentions them too. Mercy, giving, all these ones are gifts. You need to read them because it's what we believe. And, uh, and they're given by God for free. You don't merit them. But he gives them to you through the Holy Spirit, so you receive a gift. Now, when you look at every gift, actually, to be honest, they, that there is corresponding duties attached to every gift. So, for example, miracles. Well... We have gifts of miracles, but we also have, we're told by, uh, in Scripture, that we can believe God for miracles, too. Uh, we have, we told, there's a gift of tongues, but you can speak, all should speak in tongues and prophesy, Paul said. So there's a duty, but gifts are heightened ability above what is normal. There's some people who just serve, they have mercy, they have giving, that is not normal. And you think to yourself, Wow, how does that person serve like that in that area? It's beyond normal. Well, that's called a gift. All of us, though, should serve and give. Imagine if the bucket came by and you said, well, I, I just don't have the gift of giving, so um, sorry. I never give because I don't have the gift. But if I had the gift of giving, I'd give. No, we all have a responsibility through our ties to give. But there's some people who just seem to give, and you go, they don't even have that much money. But they've learned the ability because they've got a heightened ability, yeah? Okay, that's gift. The next one is found in Galatians 6. I'm over time a little. Is it okay? The clock's gone. I'm 3 minutes 28 seconds over. Ignore it. Take it off the office. <laughs> I've got about 3 pence left. Okay. Soon I'll be paying you money. Carry on preaching. Here, can I keep going, Kev? Here's 20 quid. <laughs> Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So you have the gift, and now you have the fruit. Completely different actions of God. The gift is given to you by God through the Holy Spirit. The fruit is planted, watered, fed, and you can't get it. You can't grow it any other way. By the way, all of those listed there, there's no gift of those. There's no gift of love. None. There's no gift of joy. You can't say... Oh, I'd like to be a joyful Christian, but I don't have the gift. No, the scripture says you get it by sowing seed. The more you sow, 
the more you get the fruit of that thing. People say, well, I wish there was more love in this. Well, so see. Well, I wish there was more. That. You've got to, so he says, sow faithfulness. See, listen to me. There are, you can have the gift of faith to get things done, but the sowing of faithfulness is just turning up regularly enough it becomes a great pattern in your life that produces fruit. And today we're losing that in church life. We're seeing people who are not faithful to what God's called, and then they wonder why they don't get the fruit of it. Well, you've got to sow it. You've got to sow it. They're lifesavers. The fruit are lifesavers. The opposite of love is hate. The opposite is joy is depression. The opposite of peace is a disturbed spirit. If you don't sow, you end up with those things. Now, I'm going to throw this line out, and you might like it, but it's a truth, I think. Some people quickly rush out and find artificial things to compensate for that which they should be sowing. So they get depressed and they get a pill. I get that. No problem. Kevin's on them. It's all right. Just joking. But I get that. If you, if you have to do that, sure, because it could be chemical imbalance. But you know what is a Christian answer to these things? Actually is sowing and then reaping. Sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping and sowing. And over many, many years, it just comes to you because you've been sowing so long. Here's the last one that you've been waiting for. I've been waiting for. This is the one that makes all the difference. Hear this one. Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 9. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's the absolute goal of faith? Is it that we might believe, have a gift, sow some seed? Those are products of this one. That's what happens after this one. See, the goal of faith, any faith we have, is the salvation of souls. Today, we've got caught up sometimes in thinking that the goal of the church is thus and this and the other thing. And it is many things. But actually, at the end of it all, is the salvation of souls. The reason we're here tonight is because we want to see souls saved. The reason we go to prayer is we want to see souls saved. The reason we have the lights is we want to see souls saved. People who are reaching that goal. Salvation is the greatest act of faith that takes place. Why? Because we, we don't understand what we're doing. We just receive him by faith. Let's never underestimate the power of a salvation moment. Let's never underestimate the opportunity we have to, to, to see people come to Christ by just being a part of a church. There's no other way. But this is the greatest faith. There's a man who came to Jesus. He's a blind man. Now, blindness, uh, I don't think you need to be have a gift of interpretation, uh, what do you call it, discerning or whatever it might be, to know you're blind. A person's blind. First of all, their eyes could be clouded over. He might have had cataracts. Secondly, he may have had a stick. Or thirdly, he had somebody helping him. Or fourthly, he just didn't know where he was going. This man is blind, right? You get that. So he's not going, because Jesus, what would make you think Jesus didn't know? He'd say, what do you want me to do for you? That's what he said to this guy. And you think, oh, he doesn't know he's blind. Oh, he knew he's blind. He just wanted to know what the answer was. So the blind man could have said, I need a new donkey. The other one's gone. It's rubbish. Give me a new donkey. And Jesus would have said, no problems. Go down there. There's one over there. Or he could have gone, like some Christians think, I think, ha, good one. <laughs> anyway, your eyes can see. No. He said, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want to be able to see. So you would imagine when you've answered that question, this is an easy ask because he's done it before. But he actually spits on the ground, makes a bit of mud, throws it on his face, all over his eyes. So now it's a double-dip problem. You've gone from blindness to muck all over your face too. 
So you've got two problems now. Even if you could see, you've got muck on your face. Covered in mud. Can you imagine what he says next makes no sense? Go in the pool of Siloam and wash. He's a Jew, so he has to go wash. Now, you think, I think, it's to wash off the clay. But it's more than that, because the pool of Siloam is a massive, huge, clean, ritual cleansing tank. It's still there now. So it was not a what you, you might think it's a little basin of water where they what no 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 this is a ritual cleansing tank hundreds were going up and down and you, you can see it in Israel so this guy walks down the road and he's blind everyone knows and they must be laughing at him because he's got mud on his face as well but he doesn't know because he can't look in the mirror this is endemic of our society because our society is absolutely totally blind to what's happening. If you follow anything on the news or social media and you're watching the stuff that's got, you have to say to yourself, they must be completely blind. Now they act, and I hope we're out of that because we're Christian and we can see, and that's what happens when the kingdom of light. This blindness then puts muck all over Because as they follow their blindness and they start affecting a generation like they are, then they get muck on their face too. So not only can't they see but they're covered in the muck of the world. That's the tragedy of humankind. I can't see, but I've also got this rubbish all over me that I sort of got, just came into my life from the product of being blind. So this man reaches the pool of Siloam. He doesn't lean down and flick some water on his face. He starts walking into this huge cleansing chamber, being a Jew, knowing what it means. He steps down. It's way above his head. He goes under the water, filthy water too, although the stream that runs through there, running stream, looked like probably kept it fairly clean. But he goes under the water and he cleanses his eyes. Being just, he cleanses his eyes. Huh? He comes up, the mud's gone, and he can see. But he doesn't turn around and go out the way he came in. He goes up another set of stairs to a new life, to a fresh start. That's the story of salvation. But it's not found in the pool of Siloam. It's found in faith in Jesus. It's not found in a ritual expression. It's found in taking into your life what he did for you. It's not found on doing things. It's found in seeing him and bringing it in. It's called faith. It's called grace. It's called the gospel. So this man's story is a story of ritual cleansing, but a story for humanity of being blind and being clean and now walking in a new direction. That's why the word born again is so powerful. Because as he came out of those steps, he was born again. He started all over again. New life, new experience. This is an amazing message we have, isn't it? Of the gospel of Jesus. The message that we carry as a church is not to be lightly talked or discussed. It is a powerful message. It is the only hope the world has. Ladies and gentlemen, I propose to you today that we have many things that are around us and crowding us. Let's make sure we never get trapped by the processes of doing religious stuff, but never, but sometimes forgetting what Jesus did for us and we received it by faith. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.